Welcome to the Action Podcast with me, Nick APD. And me, Kim Gonick. On this podcast, we dive into all things pop culture from past and present. Nothing is out of bounds, so plug in your earphones and get ready for another episode of APC. And let's see if Nick and I can actually agree on something. Unlikely. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Action Podcast. This is episode one of a two-part feature podcast show, and it's all about Rocky Horror and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And part two is going to be about the subsequent semi-sort of is it a sequel, isn't it a sequel, and the remake, and a couple of other bits. I'm Nick APD, and next to me is my co-host, Kim Gonick. How are you, Kim? I'm not bad, Nick. How are you? I'm good, man. Sorry it's been such a while. We had the summer holidays and I had to sort out technology things and everything. Just before before I knew it, three months had elapsed and we hadn't done a show. So that's why I thought, let's get on this. Let's get something out for, this is our Halloween show, part one. Uh, this is why I'm up lit to look terrible. I'm going to adjust the light now because I look terrible enough on cam as it is. We don't need to see me looking terrible the whole thing. You're looking very nice tonight, though, Kim. Looking very, very appropriate with the black and the red lipstick. Well, I felt since it was Rocky Horror, then I should have really done a red lip. Even though it's come See, not, what... it's not in my comfort zone. Yeah, what people don't know, what they wouldn't have just seen in the backstage, is you've just watched me wiping off my terrible attempt of doing makeup. I'm <laughs> ruining my wife's yeah. makeup. Not sure what you used for blush, but it wasn't right. It was like an eyeliner stuff, and I've gouged my finger for it, so I'm going to get murdered when she sees what I've done to it. But it's just the way it goes, unfortunately. If you leave an idiot to his own devices, he'll do stupid things. This is true. Not that I'm saying no, I feel it's important. You, you often do tell me I'm an idiot. Uh, I'm just going to go into a little bit of housekeeping before we get into the main subject. It's probably important to say, if you're listening to this on Spotify, you won't have seen the special intro that we did for this episode, and you won't have seen any of the other bonus bits we've put in. So if you are listening to this there, feel free to pop over to the channel Action Pop Dad on YouTube. Check out the intro, because Kim was put through, I don't want to say hell, but you had to really go to town to record that didn't you yeah painting my face half black with red lipstick on a sunday night was maybe not quite on my agenda for this year i i looked at all the ways we could do it i don't know how to use green screen and i the only thing i could come up with is kim can you paint your face black and put red lipstick on and record yourself mouthing the words to a song which I will note as well. I hope people enjoyed the intro song. Those, um, well, it'd be nice if you did enjoy it. No worries if you didn't. There's no pressure. The intro song, we re-recorded a parody of Science Fiction Double Feature and Sue Universal Toy Collector very kindly recorded the vocals for that. So that, that was kind of cool. So thank you, Sue, for that. And also the intro card, the, the lips on the intro card, Christian from smugglers canyon he drew these beautiful lips and he allowed us well me to butcher them 
and make this card. So a big thanks to Christian there. And also a massive thanks to Scuba Pete for jumping in and doing his little bit at the beginning. And there's loads of other thank yous we owe, but hopefully we've covered them in the credits. But if I've missed you, honestly, eternal thanks from me and Kim. But with all that said, Kim, would you like to get into the Rocky Horror Show? Yes. Yes, I would. Far we, want away. The, we want to do the stage show first. Yeah, I think we should start with the stage show. It's it's important cool. part of it all, I think. So yeah. I'm handing over to so you. So I think so I think when we talk about the stage show, everybody needs to remember, I think most people know this as the Rocky Horror Picture Show, just because the film is so iconic. But in fact it was originally called the Rocky Horror Show, which was written by Richard O'Brien. Um, it was first sort of known as like he took a small amount of his unfinished Rocky Horror to an Australia director, which was Jim Sharman, who decided that he actually wanted to direct it in a very small sort of experimental space upstairs at the Royal Court Theatre um, in Sloan Square in Chelsea in London, having absolutely no idea how big actually that show would become. But just so people don't know, like, Jim Sharman's not a small person. He also directed big sort of theatrical shows like Hair and Jesus Christ Superstar, which are names of things that everybody knows of. So it's, he wasn't just a small person. Um, but even though they sort of, he took it and decided to make it a very experimental, there really wasn't very much of a budget on it. It was teeny tiny. It actually opened on the 19th of June in 1973. In about, I think it was like a 60, 61 seat venue. And it was actually oh, wow, super. there wasn't. No, it was like 60, 61 seat theatre. No. But after very, like after a very successful four weeks, it actually then transferred to a bigger sort of classical cinema and then other locations. So its actual initial run was about 2,960 performances in London throughout the 1980s as well since wow. it started uh, in 1973 I was aware it was small um the production obviously I didn't do any reading on the stage show because that was was your yeah. thing for this podcast but I didn't realize that it was that small that's that's incredibly small and especially to come from a show like Hair or Jesus Christ Superstar so he really did take a bit of yeah. a punt on this one then yeah, especially for the beginning. Um, actually, we could probably show sort of some of the pictures and stuff from that 1973 one. So if I just, hopefully everybody can uh, see this slide. So this is sort of the 1973 performance. So obviously Nick is going to bring it up later for the picture show, but Tim Curry was in fact the original Fra Dr. Frankenfurter from the 1973 performance in that 60-61 seat theatre in just a little sort of experimental space in London before it actually then moved over um, to other locations in London. So it eventually, so it went from June the 19th, 1973 until September the 13th, 1980. So that's 2,960 performances between those times for a very small, low budget stage show. I'm actually blown away by those figures and 
having seen the pictures on on this slide, I'm I'm quite taken by how close they are to some of the visuals in the film. That there doesn't obviously there's there's subtle changes, but that that's incredible. So I have actually seen the stage show a couple of times and it is extremely close to the film, which we'll go into later. But that wow, what an incredible number of shows to put on. They they must have known it backwards. They must have known it in their sleep. There's that's an incredible amount with the same cast pretty much as well. Well, yeah, it was it was also a case of like for Richard O'Brien, it was really just it was a humorous tribute to things he'd grown up with. So he was heavily into science fiction and like horror B movies, especially throughout the 1930s into the early 60s, which is where he got Rocky Horror from. And um, to put it mildly, Rocky Horror also came from a place of him being quite heavily on drugs <laughs> as well. was a lot of how that storyline came to pass. <laughs> he was very, he's, he said that he was very loopy and he could have only written it had he been loopy is what he's quoted as saying. I don't think I ever thought for one minute that there wasn't some sort of um, chemical enhancement to Richard O'Brien's brain for the writing of this. But it's yeah, but I've got some fun facts sort of about the stage show. But so Richard O'Brien was actually an out of work actor in London in the early nineteen seventies, and he actually only wrote the Rocky Horror Show to keep himself busy in the winter, in the evenings in the winter. So it wasn't exactly like he'd set out to write the Rocky Horror Show um, so I just think it's amazing that it was sort of like a hobby for him that he was just writing it to keep himself busy and it's now turned into this massive cult classic so things like the Rocky Horror Show can be considered one of the longest running theatrical releases in history so 50 years this um, this past June it's also been seen by about 30 million people, been performed worldwide in about 30 countries and translated into 20 languages. So it's quite a, a hefty feat if we really think about it, just for a theatrical performance, just not even thinking about how many people have seen the film. If we're just talking about people yeah. physically going out and seeing a stage show in a theatre. That's incredible. And the, the number of languages it's been translated to, while we were researching this, do you remember I sent you over a a video from youtube of, of where they actually perform a japanese production of it and i yeah. actually i've seen i've seen it that many times that i could sit and I, I watched and enjoyed it all because i didn't need to know i knew what the words were even though it was in japanese so it's it's really gone around the world then which considering the subject yeah. and how conservative some countries are that it's incredible that it's managed to grab grab so much attention and stay so in the forefront of pop culture because it celebrated its 500th performance in edinburgh this year so though wow. it's been yeah so it's 500th performance in edinburgh this year um that's what they celebrated um also Haley um flaherty who's janet in it she's been in it since 2015 there's actually been no change to the janet casting for that long Last time I saw it, she was the Janet that I saw, and she she's incredible with the role. Because obviously the cast has mm -hmm. had to change over the fifty years, and there's been quite a few people who have played all the different roles. 
and yep. it just seems to keep going what i have noticed from watching a few of the recordings of the live stage show is it's quite interesting how everyone who plays frankenfurter puts their own little spin into him because i think yes, it would definitely. be unwise to try and mimic tim curry because he so incredibly unique that role so everyone one of my favorite performers it's on youtube you can watch it is david Bedella. he played an incredible frankenfurter but rather than coming at it as um the sort of well-spoken english tone he came at it with an american accent which doesn't take away from the show at all so as i say it is interesting how everyone adds their own spin and i do think that's probably the only way you can do it because to try and copy would be a mistake in my view definitely i am um, i definitely agree with that i think it's also there's so many people in the cast that have um they've been at it a long time like Chris, christian Lavercombi, i want to say is the name i've maybe butchered that he has played rocky horror he's done 2200 performances is that the the dark head the dark head guy who actual rocky yeah, yeah. Because I believe the guy who plays Riff Raff has actually, the guy who plays Riff Raff, I believe he's done an incredible number of shows as well. Yeah. So I've just popped up a slide as well to say that's um, your favourite Dr. Frankenfurter, David there. He's just yep, David in Bedella, the top corner there incredible. looking to the mirror. Yeah, my but wife rather enjoyed been... all the research. Yeah, there's been several other so, Frankenfurters though. Um, Anthony Head actually is one of the major ones, um, and it was quite funny because he was played Doctor Frankenfurter, but he also came back and narrated in the 2015 um, stage show. You've also got Jason Donovan and Duncan James. Have all played Frankenfurter, and they all tend to put their different spin on it. Like even if you can just see from the three pictures at the bottom, you've got Anthony, mm -hmm. you've got Jason, and then you've got Duncan James, and they all look different. But the only thing that I do love is that they all basically have brown curly hair. Yeah, now the only one just... part of it that I feel never changes. I spoke over you a minute ago. I do apologize. That when I said my wife's enjoyed the research for this, my wife is a massive Rocky Horror fan. And when we get into my section of the film, I'll, I'll go into why the film's special to me and special to her. But she's got a massive thing for David Bedella. And as you know from having spoke to her outside of the podcast, she's a massive Jason Donovan fan. So she's enjoyed... Yeah. Although you were looking into this side of it for the podcast, obviously I wanted to watch back on the live stage show. And... I it was actually only last night that I I saw the guy from Blue. What's his name? Duncan. Um, Duncan anyway, James. Duncan from Blue, shall we say? Duncan James. I thought he was an incredible Frankenfurter. If I had one criticism, he looked more buff and bigger than Rocky actually does. But that aside, I thought he was incredible. Uh, Jason Donovan does a great job of it. I think he's actually doing it in Australia at the moment for the fifty year anniversary david Bedella, i know has been back and forth several times but i've I, there was only there was only one performance i i can't remember the actor's name it, it will come to me but there was only one performance one person doing 
Frankenfurter, which me and Carla watched and we were like, yeah, probably wise that they moved on from him pretty quick. But generally, everyone putting their own spin into it really does make it. Because the rest of the cast, Brad, Janet, Riff Raff, Magenta, Columbia, whoever plays them, they don't really change the character at all. They, to me, for all the different no. versions of it I've seen, they, they remain pretty similar. Obviously, it's different actors, but the roles, they stay very tightly in the confines of the role. But for Frank, he seems to get a little bit more, a little bit more room to spread out and, and be himself. Definitely. Um, I think it's just... I think Dr. Frankenfurter, we have this idea of what he should be. I think that's more just because... This is why I say I think this is why the picture shows and the film kind of overshadows the stage show sometimes. Um, I did find that when I was doing my research, it was very difficult to actually find a lot of stuff on the stage show. You had to be very particular about how you worded things in the search bar. Because a lot of the information mm-hmm. just fed back to the film all the time. So when you were reading it, you thought it was about the stage show and then it wasn't. It was actually about the film. So I had to go, sort of go back and really look at how I was wording things in my search field so that I was actually getting information about the stage show and not just about the film. The film, it's a little bit sad for me that it, the film sort of overtakes. I'm not saying the film's not good. It is and everybody knows it. But it's a little, it, it does sort of overshadow the fact that it came from something that people actually portrayed on stage they didn't just portray it on film it wasn't this cut and paste oh I don't like that so I'm going to take it out they didn't have that notion it actually came from a story so it's a little bit sad that they're not able um, that you can't just really get into the information for that when you're researching it it gets overshadowed quite a lot which I think is a bit of a shame um, but I do have a little bit of quotations, actually, which I think because Richard O'Brien was actually interviewed about his stage show um, and how he felt about it. Mm-hmm. So actually, so in 1973, um, O'Brien played the hunchback, so the time work dancing butler, Riff Raff. And he remembers the view from the stage on opening night. So he said, there was a big electrical storm and Vincent Price was sitting in the audience under the skylight. The lightning flashed and lit him up, and I thought, F me, that's a good omen. The theatre was packed and sweaty. There wasn't a spare inch. We had one microphone hanging down from the ceiling, and it would swing past the audience heads. Can you imagine what it would have been like in 1973? Yeah, it really wasn't done. Well, absolutely, and one microphone i i when i used to play in a band i used to have a 1970s amplifier because i liked the sound of it but the heavy old equipment and one microphone a 70s microphone they must have had to really yeah. project because they didn't have the luxury of the technology we've got now there's no way i one thing i just wanted to say quickly anyone watching I'm guessing you've probably seen a version of Rocky Horror or the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Should I run in quickly to just a quick overview of what the story is, just in case there's anyone watching and they don't know what the story is? Sure, go for it. Just, I, sorry to jump in there. I was just thinking, oh, if there's there's some people I know who are watching or listening who perhaps 
Well, actually, no, I haven't. So I've written down a quick synopsis of it. So I'd just as well read that because it's easier than jumbling my words. But on a stormy night after attending the wedding of friends, innocent and somewhat boring, newly engaged couple Brad Majors and Janet Weiss find themselves stranded and in need of help after getting a flat tire en route to visit ex-college tutor Dr. Scott. They notice in the distance a castle with lights and head there to ask for the use of their telephone. Upon arrival, they are invited in by a spooky handyman and their lives will never be the same again. Brad and Janet encounter and become entangled in the strange extravagant world of Dr. Frankenfurter from transsexual Transylvania and bear witness to his diabolical and brilliant experiment to make the perfect man for himself. Will Brad and Janet escape the horrors before them whilst resisting sexual urges and the pull of absolute pleasure? So, sorry just to read that out there, but putting that story out there, I imagine in your research, did you come across, were there resistance from the public or from other people on the outside for the play, given the subject matter of it? So I found not so much in the UK, more so in the United States. Was yeah, where that, be... there was a little bit of resistance. Yeah, so it debuted in Los Angeles in the US in 1974. Um, and it had a successful like nine month run. But its 1975 debut on Broadway only lasted about three previews and about 45 showings, despite the fact that the show had earned a Tony nomination and a three drama desk nomination and various international productions. Um, have since like spanned across the West End of Broadway. It didn't really do as well in the states um, at that time. So like beyond its cult status, the Rocky Horror Show sort of widely said it has been an influence on countercultural and sexual liberation movements that followed on from the nineteen sixties, and it was sort of one of mm-hmm. the first popular musicals to depict fluid sexuality. Um, especially during a time of like sort of division between generations, but I still think the state, from what I've read, the states was a lot harder. But I also think that's possibly because one, it's a very it's a bigger country, and two, it was known to be much more sort of Christian in its views than the UK was at that time. It and it's not saying so anything I'm... bad about it. It's just it's just saying that that's. They're a lot, they were just a lot stricter yeah. in their religious views. Absolutely. And this isn't a criticism of America, but it does seem as though at that, that point in time, America were far more conservative in their views than what yeah. we perhaps were. Which is, is interesting considering people always think we're, the British people are a bit uptight and a bit, you know. Snooty, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, we, don't, we don't just eat cute. We don't just eat cucumber sandwiches, listen to the Queen's speech and get embarrassed when anyone so much as says the word sex. We're we're really quite we're really quite crude actually as a nation of people. We've got a sick sense of humour. But yeah. It's it's interesting going over those those parts there when, when we get into the film section, there's there's some crossover mm-hmm. there for how people received the film. But I think, I think overall, from all the research that I gathered together, the Rocky Horror Show as a theatre production itself was actually 
loved like it was successful even in the 1970s and the 80s it was successful so despite people assuming that the film is now popular i have to say the film has probably got popular i would say more sort of in the 90s and stuff like that it's not to say that it wasn't a popular storyline before that i think people have to recognize that before the film came out it had been a popular theater production that got made into a movie like it wasn't just a movie that then got turned into a musical you know and I think people have to remember where it came from I think nowadays we we really look at things and say oh this is a brand new movie it's actually probably not a brand new movie it probably did come originally from a, a screenplay and yeah a script, Rocky seemed and to do it, it the it other was way around done on theater yeah because it's it's just different in general like we people actually forget that um the Rocky Horror Show, when it was on theatre, they did 40 cast recordings of that. That's 40 different recordings of each cast and the songs that they sing to put out soundtracks. So there's like 40 cast recordings and everything like that. And it's just... um, It also sort of reminds me that I wish I'd sort of seen it... I wasn't born at the time, but I wish I'd seen it back in the day because people from the cast from that time have very much described it as sort of like a pantomime which is very British is how it was described and it's sort of like a mm -hmm. Punch and Judy show and a bit like Carry On films where it's not really meant to sort of make sense but it's meant to be full of like innuendos and funny things and sort of off your cuff remarks and things like that and I think we forget that when you actually go back and watch the stage show which you can on YouTube by the way you get all those funny bits and the funny interactions with the audience. And I think you forget you get audience participation on stage shows as well. And the actors Definitely. have to feed off being heckled by audience members as well. It's interesting you go into that. Um, I was trying to explain to a chap at work the other day about the Rocky Horror show and i said to him about the audience participation and he said no no i don't go to a show and have to participate they're being paid to entertain me i was like whoa 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 first of all step back they they don't the the cast on stage don't do anything to get the audience to interact there is pretty much a script a known script that has come about over the years certain cues that people shout out when they say janet weiss the audience shouts slut when they say Brad, the audience shout asshole, and there's lots of little things like that that happen through the happen through the play, and that that developed. That's just a couple of examples. Watching back the stage show on YouTube for this, I know we watched the same one. The audience shouting out can that, that that's some of the funniest parts. Well, I mean, the show is funny itself. Yeah. But the audience, it, it's like the audience. It's almost like they were at rehearsal. The timing of the audience and how they deliver these heckles is absolutely incredible. And the other thing worth noting as well, if you haven't seen the film, if you've never seen the stage show once, just once, if it comes to your area, you don't have to dress up, although you will be the odd person there if you don't dress up. You, there, there's several options. You haven't got to go in full-blown fishnet stockings and corsets you could go as a transylvanian or you could go as eddie a rocker go and watch the show it's the 
what has come what has become of this show and the the following and the dedication and the passion of the fans is something to behold even if you didn't enjoy the show which i don't think anyone could watch that show and not find enjoyable parts i think seeing just how incredibly passionate the audience are is is worth witnessing that and also i dare you to get your heckle just right and if you manage to get it just right, watch and see if the actor manages to keep their composure. Because when I watched the stage show, you could tell that David, who was playing Frankenfurt, he had moments where he had to take a minute because oh, he was going to laugh. It... So he had to take a minute so he could carry on. I know it's it's it doesn't it's not going to sound that funny on here, but it's the moment when he goes "Ah, oh, Shante," and someone shouts out, "What's that mean?" and he just. <laughs> looks at the crowd and goes how nice and you just think he was you you also need and that that's the joy of watching the show depending on who you get will depend on the interactions the 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 version that's on youtube has several narrators or criminologists the show is narrated mm-hmm. uh, a narrator comes out from time to time and reads what's going on similar thing happens in the film we'll get into that in a bit but even the audience heckle him. And the one we watched, there were several narrators. I believe there was Aid Edmondson, Stephen Fry. They're two that come to yeah. mind. And Stephen Fry, when the audience are heckling him, he was incredible. Oh, my God, they wouldn't show. Yeah. Um, just on that, there was also Emma Bunton. There was Mel Yedroik, I think. Anthony Head came back. Formally. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Anthony Head came back and he was a narrator. And also Richard O'Brien. He also came on to it. Yeah. Because literally the audience would not shut up when he came on to be the narrator. It, it, was like, it was like Christ had arrived, wasn't it? He walked out to do that yeah. one narration spot. And it was inc- the eruption of the audience. I've not I seen... Know. I, I liken it to seeing Freddie Mercury when he used to walk out on stage and the applause he would it was oh, absolutely incredible. That man definitely is and it was just, the... Yeah. I can't believe he's well into his eighties. He's, he's well into his eighties and although he's he's never been a large framed man, he's always been slight and slim. Apart from looking a bit slimmer, which I guess is an age thing, he he still looks just like I remember Richard O'Brien. And he's still and he's and at yeah. the end of the show they sort of do a reprise of a couple of the songs. They'll do the time warp again. Frank and Furter always does the times I've seen it, always does sweet transvestite again. And he'll get out. He's mm-hmm. up there dancing. He's up there yeah. dancing and he's still going for it. So it's incredible like, that he's even... still got the passion. Yeah, even when I've seen him being interviewed and stuff, he sort of has says that he still loves it, but he's had to slow down. He has had a few things happen health-wise, and unfortunately for him, he's had to get rid of things like red wine and the things that he used to love, and he used to like a cigar every now and then. Um, So he's just sort of decided he needs to sort of slow it down a little bit, but he's always on stage. Um, He's always doing the best that he can. Um, he's always putting himself out there and everything. He's just, um, I think he's still humbled by the fact that he didn't think such a small, tiny, weird sounding script would end up the way it is now. 
I, to be honest, I don't think any of the original actors probably thought it would be where no, it is today. I, I don't. I don't think they did. And the fact it crossed over from England to America, I know they had to change some of the cast up, and the American cast essentially, a lot of them were kept for the film. But the the fact that even though it it keeps changing, it keeps evolving. It really is. It it's surprising to me when I speak to people how many people haven't seen the film. And I always say to anyone you should watch it. And some people will watch it. I've I watched it this um just last week with um somebody and they thoroughly enjoyed it. So the stage show, should I say I watched with them, not their film, but we do plan on watching the film. But one reaction I do seem to get from people, and it's a bit of a shame, especially in 2023. I don't know if you've come across this, Kim is if I said to someone, oh, have you seen the Rocky Horror Show? The number of people said, oh, no, I'm not watching that. That They're put off. I don't know if they're put off by, I don't know what they think's going to happen if they watch the show or watch the film. It's it's out there. It's crazy. Contra- well, not, not in today's age, not controversial themes. Not but- controversial, no, no. No, no, not at all. If anything, I mean, I'm, I, I think, if anything, today it's probably becoming bigger again. However, 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 we say it's not controversial now, right? I think it's not controversial in the fact that you can live your life and your sexual preference can be fluid. But when Richard O'Brien was asked whether or not we could make Rocky Horror today, he doesn't actually believe we could make it today because he also says at the time he wrote it as a writer and a creator it was written at a time where creatives had very few constraints on what they could show and what they could write and what they could talk about whereas i do believe now you could write something like that but how much red tape would you have to go through and how much political think, correctness would there be? Yeah, you do raise a valid point, actually, because I think problem today is they would try and make it too inclusive for too many people. And I think they they would probably worry about, will this offend this person? Will this offend that person? And I think yeah. the magic of Rocky Horror is it didn't give, damn, it did its thing. Here it is. This is what it is. And accept it for what it is or yeah. walk out or don't watch it pretty simple but it is still to the point i was making before it is surprising to me how many people seem to recoil when you suggest to them watch rocky horror you're not you're not going to go you're not going to watch it and be grossed out in any way shape or form you're not going to come out and question your life it's just a fun film or stage show depending on what version you want to watch I think I've seen, I think I saw the movie and I think I saw the stage show like in my, probably not before I was 10, but definitely like my early teens and late teens. I don't think I ever went into it thinking one way and I don't think I ever came out of it thinking another way. To be quite honest, the way I was just looking at it was it's a musical. It's got cool music numbers. It's got amazing costumes. And to be honest, like O'Brien's right, it is very much like pantomime. We don't get fully like the British don't get obsessed when we look at like, um, 
Widow Twanky out of like Cinderella and all that, that is normally played by a man dressed as a woman in elaborate makeup. It's exactly what Tim Curry was doing. It's exactly what all the actors do as Dr. Frankenfurter. Why are we, just because it happens to be a little bit more revealing. Well, exactly. So I'm not really sure. Is it just because we've used words like transvestite, transsexual, and everything has sexual connotation and innuendos? Is maybe that what that is is that the differing factor? I don't know. Because pantomime has so many innuendos in it. Yeah, in the same it's almost idea. like the innuendo they they they've used the innuendo and they've just gone one step further for an adult audience. That's all they've done. It's not Yeah. There's nothing. I think there's only in the film and the stage show, there's certainly swearing from the audience. But there's only one song which has the F word in it. And that's when yeah. Frank sings a mental mind F. Oh, just, no, I won't just say it. <laughs> a mental mind F can be nice. That's, that's It's a line in a song. It's not, yeah. it's not grossly over the top with language. No. Some of the sexual themes in it, by t- I, reading for this, a few people have drawn exception to it today because they think that Frankenfurter, they refer to him as a rapist in it. No, the people in the film or the stage show who he has sex with, granted he's sort of there, eh, he tricks them initially, and yeah, that would be wrong, but they all they were all willing but they participants, still end up saying yes. we say. <laughs> yeah, they, they still, and, and quite happily saying yes. But also, I think people also have to remember it's not been done in a malicious environment. Like the way that they set the scene is not a malicious, it's not a malicious scene. It's not a malicious environment to which they've put it in, in any capacity. So I think for me, that's people going in there and finding a flaw. Like, when I watch those scenes, that's not the first thing that comes to my head of going, oh, they didn't consent. Oh, that's rape. Blah, blah, blah. That's not the first thing that comes it's, to my it's mind interesting. at all. It's, it's interesting because you could look at it and go, yeah, initially. So what basically happens is Frank sneaks into the bed of Janet and he does the same later with Brad with a wig on and use and mimicking their voice and sort of tries to get frisky with him and very quickly the character realizes that it's actually frankenfurter and they're like oh no no i would never have done anything if i'd have known it was you and then they suddenly realize they really fancy him and they're quite up for it and they end up doing what they do so yeah. it's not so like you not said, said this no. is happening just and you said... have to deal with it yeah it's not like they I said know. no they were like oh if you'd been somebody else i would have said yes that's basically they said, Oh, I wouldn't have done it if I'd known it was you. That's basically saying, Oh, I was expecting it to be somebody else and I definitely would have. But actually you're kinda hot, so I'm not gonna say no to that either. Is how that scene really well, yeah. plays out. So I I don't see take... how that it's it's not malicious. No, it's not malicious. It's it's certainly not written malicious, and that's that is maybe goes back to what Richard O'Brien was saying about writing something like this today. I can imagine that would be yeah. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. I think you just have to in look general, at it. I, I, 
yeah, in general, I don't think creators have the freedom that they did. Because um, I suppose... They're afraid of being cancelled? back in the... Well, that, but also in the 60s and 70s and 80s, like, very much we wanted the shock factor. Everybody mm-hmm. still likes the shock factor. I don't think anybody can deny the shock that they don't like a shock factor. No, absolutely. And I think when you look at Rocky Horror Show, the stage show or or the film, I would say if you've not seen it, but let's say, for example, you enjoyed the film or the stage show of Little Shop of Horrors. This is right for me. This is right in the yes, Little Shop of horrors doesn't really have the the sexual innuendo has a little bit in there but it's not so down that path but it's the same sort of horror b-movie feeling thing so there's there is a sort of field uh, a lane where these shows and films exist with other complementary films or stage shows i think anyway yeah definitely but no, I think it's it's one of these things where I'm like, I my message to people would be, if you've seen the film, I think that's great, but I would always push people to go and see the stage show. It's a really good, fun night out, especially if you're all a little tipsy. Um, I've even been to the sing- sing-along ones before where um, it's not necessarily a stage show, but they will show the film in the theatre, but you get lots of like a little party bag to go with it with little signs and flags and things to wear at certain things and it's just quite good fun if you're willing to have fun and the people next year are willing to do the same then it's quite a good way just to enjoy a time out even with just strangers oh, so I would if, thoroughly if recommend watch, people to go and see it if you go and watch this and you're an uptight person who doesn't like people dancing next to you doesn't like maybe a water pistol coming out and squirting water in the air or rice getting thrown theaters cinemas have tried to ban this but it hasn't stopped because the these are things that the audience do for whether you're watching the film or you're watching the stage show if there's an event on for it there's certain moments in the film things cues that the audience follow when they're singing over at the frankenstein place people holding newspapers over their head like the cast did water pistols spraying water up for the rain the wedding scene at the beginning, people throwing rice. These things happen. People pulling on gloves and letting them go so they snap for the when Frank puts his gloves on or they're they're Mm -hmm. taken off. These things exist. And for me, that's part of the magic. And the other thing worth looking out for, because I know Carla's been to one, I think it was last year. Sometimes they'll do at cinemas around the country they certainly did last year they will do a live stage show but they'll film it and they'll broadcast it live so you can go and watch it at cinemas and things and people will still go all togged up so they do this for the film but you can actually catch it for the stage show so they really do push it it's very accessible if you want to see it or as me and kim said there's a fantastic copy on youtube you could just watch it on youtube and have a laugh have a couple of beers or a couple of glasses of wine get your friends around and just just enjoy it it's definitely it's the stage show although it has dark themes i don't i think it's a lot lighter than the film became and i think it's just a yeah. good laugh but so Definitely Kim, go and see it. Weird. I want people to go and see it, and I and I want to I want people to go and see it. If you have seen it, I want everybody's opinion in the comments. So, 
because I like to see everybody's opinion in the comments. So make sure you're telling me your experiences of seeing the Rocky Horror stage show first, please, not before the film. Nick will tell you about the film, but I want to know what you feel about the stage show. I, I will go into the film. Um, do you think we're about getting to the point where we should start venturing into the film? Yeah, I think so. I think I've pretty much covered most of what happened with the stage show. Like I said, it was a little bit disappointing that despite sort of hours of research from my side, the film massively overshadowed a lot of information on the stage show. I could go into everything about how it's done in Australia and how it's done in the States and it was done in Japan and all this type of thing, but the stage show is the stage show. I think you actually probably get better versions of it in the UK just because it was always seen as a UK-based show. That's how it was written. It was written. It was actually written with a lot of British humour in mind. Um, but it is one of these things. I would just say, just go out and watch the stage show. I think people will thoroughly enjoy it. Just don't take it too seriously. And it's not quite as dark as the so, film. Absolutely don't take it seriously. So there's... Uh, a little story for me before we go into the film as to why the film is that's quite important to me it holds memories from childhood and it the state going back from the film led to me going to see the stage show i'll get there I'll, I'll start at the beginning of the story but when i was a kid probably 10 11 years old across the road from us there were a scottish couple called sylvia mack and Sylvie had a dressmaking business. Now, what was unique about this dressmaking business was it, well, first of all, the name of it, it was called Cinder Fellas. Cinder with an S for sin. And what Sylvie used to do, she was a dressmaker for anyone who wanted a dress, but she specialized in making dresses for men's, for, for men's, for men who like to dress as women, transvestites as the term would be. I, I, it's difficult to know how and when to use that phrase these days because it's you're always on the worry of upsetting people. But to carry on with the story, that was her business because Sylvie realised that dresses, women's dresses didn't fit the male frame. So being good friends with them, my parents being good friends with them and us always being over their house, I was exposed to, at a very young age, one minute I could be speaking to John, and 10 minutes later, John would be walking down the stairs as Joan, dressed fully as a woman. Never bothered me. I think because I was young, and it just it just was what it was, and I think it's one of the reasons why I'm quite accepting of many things today. But long and short of it is, I heard the adults talking about going to watch the Rocky Horror Show one day they were they were all off they were getting togged up they were going to go and watch the rocky horror show the stage show and being an inquisitive 10 or 11 year old what's the rocky horror show oh my goodness you don't know what the rocky horror show is and sylvie says to me i've got the film they've made a film if your mum agrees you can watch it so sylvie phones across the road to my mum do you mind if nick watches the rocky horror picture show my mum no not at all no problem with that at all so i sit there and watch it and i'm blown away 10, 11 years old. And so the 90s and that time in my life, I always look back on fondly because that was my childhood. So I think that's one of the reasons why the film is particularly special to me. 
Anyway, let's go forward 10, 11 years, probably 10 years. I meet some girl, really like her, cut a long story short. We get talking one day and I happen to mention that I like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And she says, I've got a picture of Frankenfurter on my wall at home. I'm a massive fan. So as a surprise for her, I put tickets for us to go and see the Rocky Horror Show in Southampton. I dress up as Frankenfurter. She goes as Magenta, Patricia Quinn's character. We go there. We have a thoroughly good time. And this is a, you know, this is that time in your life. You meet someone and you think, oh, I really like this person. I don't know where it's going to go. Anyway, that was our first big date, me and this girl. Well, I've been married to her nearly 17 years now because that girl was my wife, Carla, Mrs. APD, <laughs> the mother of my son. So that that was a really important, formative part of our relationship. One of the times we, we went out and we realized we had a lot of things in common. So that might seem a daft, long-winded story to others, but those little stories is why this film and this stage show is so important to me. So sorry to waffle on there, Kim. I just thought it was worth sharing why um, I have a real soft spot for it. I think they're good stories. They're good stories. And they're like, they're good memories as well. They're like happy memories as well. And it's nice that you can attribute something to happy memories. Yeah, the, the, this film, stage show, whatever version, I love them both. It, it will always be important to me. In the background there, you probably can't see because of light. And there's a giant pair of Rocky Horror lips. There's Carla even today is wearing little earrings, which are the Rocky Horror lips. Not because we're doing this, just because they're what she's picked. My missus looks quite similar to Patricia Quinn um, with the hair and everything. So she always cosplays as Patricia Quinn. You know, it's such a hardship being with a woman who likes to dress like that. I tell you, Kim, it's awful. Bloody awful, mate. Um. <laughs> of course i'm being sarcastic it's fantastic so yeah there's that so with with that little story there as to why it's important to me rocky horror picture show the rocky horror picture show because as kim defined earlier the rocky horror show is the stage show the rocky horror picture show is the film and they added picture in it so that it, there was a set separation between the two so people would know it came out on the 14th of August 1975 in the UK, touch later in the USA. It was actually the 26th of September for the USA. The screenplay was by Richard O'Brien and Jim Sharman, who Kim mentioned earlier, and it was distributed by 20th Century Fox. It's got a 100-minute running time, which is about... That's about the same as the stage show, is it not, Kim, by memory? Yeah, roughly. It's, probably it's around not too far and half off, mark. actually. No, and the film does very much they're very similar this isn't the film is a very close adaption of the stage show they've had to add a few bits and pieces to tie the scenes together because as kim said that it's very pantomime the stage show and there's the occasional moment where it will sort of leap to the next scene and if you did that in a film people would be like what's going on what why, why are they suddenly here but it is what it is it was actually filmed on it was filmed on quite a low budget it was filmed on a $1.4 million budget. At least that's the budget I could find when I was researching online. I found that figure a few times. And it was initially intended to have a much bigger budget. But the thing was, the stage show had gone over to America. And Richard O'Brien and Jim Sharman, quite frankly, they wanted to keep as many of the, the stage cast 
for the film as they could. Because at the time, 20th Century Fox actually wanted them to use popular musicians of the day because they they wanted this as a selling point for the film, sort of an all-star cast. And obviously these guys, they weren't as well known. They, they were known in the, the theatre world because another important point here is this was Tim Curry's first feature film. It was all stage work before for him. So this was his first moment in the film. And eventually they decided, Fox came to a compromise with him. You can make the film with who you want for, you know, you you can take Tim Curry in, um, you can take Patricia Quinn in, Little Nell, Meatloaf at the time. Meatloaf in the States was playing Eddie and Dr. Scott. They can use their, those characters. Obviously, Tim Curry was English. But we're going to reduce the budget if you do that. And for the other characters, you're going to have to recast and use American actors for Brad and Janet. So that was the compromise they came to. So the $1.4 million budget is much lower than it than it could have actually been. The cast was very much the American stage show cast. As I say, Tim Curry was Frank Furter, Richard O'Brien. Richard O'Brien actually played Riff Raff in the film. He originally wanted to play Eddie in the film, but it was Jim Sharman who said to him, I think what you should do is you should play Riff Raff. I think this role suits you. So he actually ended up playing Riff Raff. Um, and Meatloaf was kept for Eddie. Slight difference in the film. Then the stage show, the, the actor who plays Eddie always plays Dr. Scott because the Eddie role is one song. It's a very short role. And this was something that actually went on to upset Meatloaf. Um, you had Susan Sarandon as Janet Weiss, our heroine. You had Barry Boswick as Brad Majors. As I say, Patricia Quinn was magenta. I think I've already said this, but Little Nell was Columbia. And Jonathan Adams played Dr. Everett Scott. And there was a very muscular, good-looking chap called Peter Hinwood, and he played Rocky, our creation. Now, an interesting thing about Rocky, I'll say this before I forget and I go on. He was the only person in the film who didn't lend his vocals to the soundtrack because he wasn't a vocalist. So they actually had an Australian chap called Trevor White who provided the vocal and overdubbed it it's so that that's how we got there the the movie it was seen by it was basically seen by execs from fox i believe um sorry i'm stumbling on my words i believe that the execs watched the film i think it was a guy called gordon stolberg and he got into discussions with o'brien and Sharman. And that's how it came to pass. They decided that this this stage show was such a phenomenon that they wanted to put it on the screen. It was quite a quick turnaround. When you think the film came out in 1975 and you think the initial date of the stage show. So this was, this was put together pretty quick. Um, th they did all this. And Stolberg, he, he was quite happy to go with it. They got everything going. As I say, we've gone for the budget of it. The film was made, it was released, and the film flopped. It died on its ass. There were mass walkouts in the cinemas in America because of the sexual nature of the film, and it just absolutely died. And Fox, because they already put such a low budget to it, they they basically said, no, we're not, we're not going to put any more 
to this we we don't want to waste any we're gonna we're gonna write this film off which is incredible when you think just how big this film is now but where rocky horror found its footing was 1976 the film basically got released to small theaters most most notably um a theatre called the Waverley Theatre in New York City, and it was released as a midnight film. And what they were hoping to do, they, they agreed to get it released on these midnight shows. what they were hoping to do, because something had become known as the... Sh- what had become known was that there was a cult following for the stage show, and they hoped that what they could do was pull in a few of the people from the stage show, get a little bit of the money back, but it took off. It took off massively. Um even to the point that in Germany there is a theatre, and I'm going to butcher this. I have to read this. Um, the the cinema or theatre is called the Museum Lichtspiel. Sorry if I've butchered that. And the film has been showing week on week since 1977. They have never stopped showing the film. The film still attracts oh. an audience every time. This is so. That's it's, amazing. Yeah, so like the stage show that's been consistent for 50 years now, because the stage show is 50 years this year, this film, it it just hasn't stopped. It hasn't missed a beat. It's still out there. It's still regularly being released. In a couple of years' time, it will be the 50-year anniversary of the film, and I guarantee you it will be released in cinemas. There will be special edition Blu-rays or whatever format we're watching now. It will be huge. There will be events where you can go and watch it. I'd bet my I'd bet my entire savings on that. That that will be happening in the next couple of years. One of the things that's so magical about the film, the soundtrack. The soundtrack they they took all the all the songs from the stage show. They did actually omit one song, and that was a song that Brad sung called "Once in a While." Because they felt for pacing of the movie that it really slowed down the film. And it's it's worth noting that the film is a slightly darker feel to the stage show. It's still fun. It's still campy. It's still got all those elements. But you've seen it, Kim. I think we said it in the previous section, but... There's no denying. There's, would you say there's a bit more of a gothic feel to the film? Yeah, I think it's also it is. It's more like your castle in Transylvania. But I think what also helps it is you've still got the graininess of the film from the seventies, which also makes it darker. I mean, the film, the film, as with the stage show, it's. It's essentially a parody of Frankenstein, is what it is. That that's what this is. It is a scientist making a creation. Um, the the film they had a little bit of an issue to start with with one of the cast. Patricia Quinn was quite upset at the beginning of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The stage show, you have an usherette come out and she sings science fiction double feature to the audience but they decided to change this up for the film so what they had was a pair of red moving lips on a black background does that sound familiar kim is that thing yes (laughs) yeah 
you 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 know all about that now and actually what they decided to do but was similar to those big yeah, lips up in the corner of your slide similar to those lips in the corner there of this slide but the lips used were actually patricia quinn's lips and she lip synced to the song science fiction double feature which was sung by richard o'brien and Patricia Quinn had always performed the song in the stage show. So she was she was a little bit upset that she didn't get to sing it, but she obviously got over it because she starred in the film. The lips that you see on the poster are not actually Patricia Quinn's lips. They are the lips of a model, I believe she did Playboy, called Lorelli Shark. And she only got paid oh. about $130 for, for that. So as iconic as these lips are, it's a one-time payment. She she doesn't get any residuals from it. There was quite a few issues with the filming. It was filmed in the United Kingdom at Bray Studios and on location at an old country estate house named Oakley Court, which has now actually been restored as a hotel. You can go and stay there. It's been rebuilt. But at the time of filming, to say it was in disrepair is an understatement. There were leaking roofs. I believe the scene when they're singing over at the Frankenstein place and you see Riff Raff sing out the window. For that moment, he was stood across the beams of the floor because the floorboards had actually rotted out. <laughs> this is how bad it was. And Susan Sarandon got quite ill during the making of this because they had one room on, on the whole set which had heaters in, which incidentally had a fire because <laughs> something went wrong with the heaters. So there are problems. But Susan Sarandon got really poorly during the filming because she's running around in basically bra and pants the whole film and a little petticoat. And it was damp, it was cold, to the point that the producers got a little bit annoyed with her and said, Oh, you know, just just get on with it. But Richard O'Brien said somewhere in an interview, basically, she probably should have been hospitalized. She was really poorly. It wasn't good for her at all. A lot of the props that were in the film, uh, namely the tank that Rocky is born in, that was actually a reused prop from a Hammer Horror film because where they filmed, the castle they filmed, that was a castle that was used for Hammer Horror films. So they were they were reusing things. It was really quite clever how they did it. And a little fun story that I like from it as well, where we're talking about the castle and where they filmed it. Kim, if you remember in the film when Dr. Scott comes to the castle and Frankenfurter turns on his machine and Dr. Scott ends up whizzing all around the castle, up and down the stairs, and all of a sudden he smashes through the wheel into the lab. Through the wheel, yes. through the wall, into the lab where they made Rocky. Do you know why that was? I don't know if you come across it. No. Doesn't matter if you don't. Well, basically, the set designers messed up a little bit. They forgot to design a door in the set. So because there wasn't time oh. to amend the set, what they said is, oh, we're having crash through the wall then. It's as simple as that. That's why Dr. Scott crashes <laughs> through the wall. So if you've ever watched that in life, you know that's random. Every time I see that scene, I'm always waiting for it to become a ride at like Disney or a theme park. Well, well, in interestingly, um, if it does, if they ever do make a ride like that, let's hope it doesn't have the same issues that it had with filming now meatloaf is in the film playing eddie love interest of columbia he's also 
from what Frank says in the film, has had a little bit of a fling with him. Eddie is actually missing half of his brain in the film because Frank Furter steals half of his brain to give a brain to his creation, Rocky. Meatloaf ends up being murdered by Frank when we're going to later on where that leads to some of the story. But Meatloaf couldn't ride the motorbike in the film. You know when you see the motorbike riding around the ramps, around the stairs and everything for in Hot Patootie? Yeah. That was actually a stunt guy. Well, the stunt, because Meatloaf couldn't ride the bike and sing the song. It probably didn't want to. It was quite dangerous. Anyway, the stunt guy came off, had a nasty accident, ended up on the floor for ages while he's making sure he's not too injured. So what they did, the scenes where you see Meatloaf riding the bike, he's not. He's sat in a wheelchair that they've put handlebars in and a motorbike screen on. But you know, um, Meatloaf's got a cut in his head in the film to show where they took his brain out. Yeah. Or half of his brain. Well, what's quite funny and ironic is Meatloaf got launched out of the bloody wheelchair and ended up getting a cut on his head during filming that scene. <laughs> That's quite amusing. So they probably didn't have to hide it too much given the nature of it so that there's that other other things i'm going to jump back a little bit things i like in the rocky horror picture show there's a bit more to it because it's a film they've had to flesh out the scenes a little bit more so the stage show that i've watched the versions i've watched has always started with brad and janet in the car driving talking about the wedding they've just attended and they basically get a blast it's the it's the Wedding of Ralph Hapshat and Betty Munro. Be- Betty Munro, excuse me, pop my teeth back in. Now Betty Hapshat. Anyway, that's where the stage show normally starts. But for the film, you get to see them at the church and all the rice throne, which is where I believe this has come from. Because I believe the film has probably moulded aspects of the stage show over the years as well. But if you look at the scene where they're all there and they come out at the very start of the film, the wedding, they're doing the wedding photos, you can actually see Patricia Quinn, Richard O'Brien stood at the back, and Tim Curry stood in the middle dressed as a priest out of makeup. Now, the image of Patricia Quinn and Richard O'Brien is actually a little bit of a take and a nod to the photo, American Goth, the photo, what am I saying? The painting, American Gothic. So I don't know if you'd spotted that when you watched it. Because the no, I have to say probably put... haven't spotted it, actually. I didn't spot that. No, I need to I... keep an eye out for it next time. Well, that's fine. And that's that's the magic of these of these films is there's always little things you can go back and watch. But also while they're singing Damn It, Janet in the church, Little Nell was also there and Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn as the characters they were just played outside the church. And um, when they're singing the words to Damn It, Janet, which I probably can't sing on here, um, they're the ones... <laughs> when they say Janet, that's them. That's the cast. That is the cast of the... basically dressed down. Now, I don't, I don't know if it's intended as they're meant to be the same people hiding, uh, assessing what's going on or if it's just a good excuse to use the cast, because the cast isn't the biggest of casts, and it's not for the stage show either. Other interesting things you might spot when they're doing the time warp, 
Do you know who the actor, English actor, Christopher Biggins is? No, I've never heard of him. Okay, well, that's fine. A few people will have, but if um, you could look him up, he's a famous sort of thespian in, in England. He's been in lots of stage shows. I think he's been in TV production as well, but he actually plays one of the Transylvanians. I just thought I'd throw that little fact out there while I had it. Um, but get, getting back to how the show grew, something has has developed as well over the years, and it's the when you go and watch the film, if it's a special event, and it's not nearly always a special event because at this point, there if the film's going out, it's for an anniversary or some reason or other, and there are actually companies, certainly in the UK, where they will go around the country and they'll put the Rocky Horror Picture Show on and all the audience come and dress up as the character they love. But there's something called the shadow cast. So it's not uncommon if you go to one of these productions to see a bunch of actors who are with the company putting this on dressed and they will actually, beneath the cinema screen, be acting and miming along to the film and encouraging and geeing up the audience. So there's another thing about the audience participation that goes on. And... To my mind, that's that is part of the magic of doing these things. There's so many little facts and things about this film that I love. The lips, I know we'd spoke about them before. I'm jumping back again because there's so much crammed into my head about this. As you can tell, I'm like an excitable puppy when it comes to this subject. <laughs> the, the lips are actually based on a man rape. Per, a Man Ray, the lips are actually based on a Man Ray painting called The Lovers. And those lips, it's a pair of red lips floating in the sky. And those lips are the lips that inspired the lips for Rocky Horror Picture Show and also inspired the lips with the poking out tongue for the Rolling Stones. So there's that. Okay. Lip. I don't know if you can call it a connection. So there's more facts there. But there's just so many cool things in it there's there's lots of references to the 40s and 50s of course if you watch it they reference charles atlas and rocky has the charles atlas seal of approval well in the 40s and 50s charles atlas was a bodybuilding type man and he had a program and they used to advertise it in papers and magazines saying things such as in just seven days i can make you a man so Rocky is heavily based on Charles Atlas. Uh, if you want to know what Charles Atlas looks like, um, pretty much like Rocky, because that, that's that's how he was designed to be, really. There's also a few other things in it, nods which some people may or may not realise. When Frankenfurter is in the lab and he's wearing his doctor's coat, the triangle on his lapel well it's not a lapel on his gown is actually a reference to gay pride because the triangle reversed the other way round red triangle is what the nazis would make gay men in concentration camps wear to signal that they were gay and so that they could identify yeah. them so now that symbol's been taken and turned around as a as a thing for gay pride so that's something which i think is quite cool that even back then in the 70s, they've made reference to that. And, yeah, I just think 
all these little things are awesome and they all add to the magic of the film but it's quite important to say for the film one of the big things about we can talk about the plot we can talk about all the things that happen but the music the music is undeniably brilliant in the stage show and the music has been carried over to the film bar the song i said that was taken out and they re they re-recorded it for the film obviously as they had to now kim obviously the stage show is a musical with a story to it you've seen the film how did you feel the songs were in comparison to how they are on the stage show um actually i think they sync them up actually pretty well really from from my side of things i think um Obviously, well, for the stage show and things, you get a little bit more chorus, and obviously, it's a live band, so there's just it's it's different because you'll have fine tuning and everything that happens in a film. So there's never going to be squeaky parts, or it's never you're never gonna it's you're never gonna hear the live part of the recording. So for me, like I love the film and I like the soundtrack from the film, but I can't help. I do also really like the fact that when you're in theater, it's a live band, so you're getting sort yeah. of more of the experience that way as well well this is why i was asking because there is a slight that the songs are very close they're brilliantly done but there is a definite difference for me in the production of the songs i mean the songs what's interesting is the songs were recorded over two weeks at london's olympic studios and something that a fact i found out is barry wilson and mick grabham were amongst the musicians involved and they were from the band Procol Harum. Uh, song that they did which you might know as a whiter shade of pearl so it was sort of there was there were big musicians involved with with producing this and getting it where it needed to be but the music is obviously so important to this film and this production because it is something when you've been and seen it live i mean you will notice that pretty much what 90 percent of the audience are singing along word for word it's one of mm -hmm. the big parts and i think I think they did a good job with the film because they had to certainly change the songs a little bit because what works on stage, as we know, does not always work on film. Science fiction double feature, which I've already spoke about, for instance, when it's sung by the usherette in the stage show, who whoever plays the usherette is, will always be the actress who plays Magenta as well. It, I find that to be a lot more upbeat in the stage show. It's... It's a bit more bright, campy and loud, whereas for the film, the version Richard O'Brien sung, I think it's a little bit, it's played down a little bit. I don't think it's got yeah. quite the same feel to it. But I think also how they did that was perfect because you have to set the tone for the film. So there's all these crazy little things that went on and one other little fun fact for you is um i the skeleton in the clock do you remember the skeleton in the clock yes well that's actually a real skeleton the cast didn't know oh did they and, get it um, from like a medical thing from a university or something now i've read a couple of conflicting or was it just a skeleton in a clock 
No, I've read a couple of conflicting things online. And this is something I don't know if you came across this for your research for the stage show. There's lots of conflicting information out there. Lots. Of, one person will say yeah. this story. One person will say that. So if any of the facts in this are wrong, I apologize. I've I've gone through the best I can to find the most accurate information. But the story goes, the couple who used to own the castle in real life, the husband died and the wife decided to have his skeleton preserved and put into the clock <laughs> as, a, as an ornament to remember him by. <laughs> it was sold years later for a considerable sum of money. So I think that that's quite, you do. quite creepy and cool to know. But there's, there's other things that happened on the film, little things you can watch out for when you watch it. Um, things like hidden Easter eggs in the film. If you spot an Easter egg somewhere in the film, that's because they purposely hid Easter eggs. Quite a few were lost in the edit and whatnot, but there are still some there. So watch out for them. Might even be an Easter egg hidden behind me somewhere. You never know. And just little things that happened on set. Apparently, Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon were actually dating at the time it's been revealed. So Ooh. that's quite interesting because people say they had really good chemistry. But I don't know if this put any strain on their relationship. At the dinner table scene, when Brad slams his hand down, and start shouting. Apparently, he actually accidentally slammed his hand down on Susan Sarandon's hand. So when she jumps and goes, ow, that's because he la he full-blown fist-pounded her hand. Oh, no. And people... Yeah, yeah, really hurt her. And so later on when they do the floor show, you know, when they're all dancing in heels and they're on the stage, a few people have said online and from research, I found that Susan Sarandon did this on purpose, but she actually stood on Barry Bostwick's foot with the sharp hill. And if you watch the film, you can actually see him grimace like, ow. <laughs> and a few people have said that she did that as a, as a form of revenge for smashing her hand. As, Too right. And the other, the other funny gaffe from the film is um you know when frank is whipping riffraff because rocky's escaped from the castle even though they've taunted him and basically he's ran off something which i will note they don't really torture rocky in the stage show but they do in the film that's something they seem to have added um the bit where frank comes down and he's got his leather coat on and he's whipping he was Apparently, the idea was to whip the floor in front of where Richard O'Brien was to get the sound and the motion, but he got it wrong on one of them. So one of the bits where he goes, ow, that's real. <laughs> he got nailed oh. by the whip. That was fun. There's Dedication so right there. Yeah, I mean, there's so many facts, and we've got an hour and, what, 20-minute podcast, which we've maybe an hour and 25. So I could go over facts all night, but I think it's, it's important to note, we don't do these as a, they're not a documentary. This is a chat amongst friends. We research it and we, and we go over it. So I would say that I've, I've covered all the important bits I want to go over for the film. As I say, there's so many good documentaries out there 
I think the important stuff's been covered. The main thing I wanted to get across in this is I love this film. I love this stage show. I've told the story. And I just hope anyone listening has enjoyed it as well. And I just would appeal to anyone who hasn't seen the film or the stage show. Please do check them out. It would be such a shame to, even if you look at it and think that's not my thing, give it a go. You never know. You might find something you love. That's that's all I'd say to anyone. So with all that said on the film, Kim, is there anything you wanted to add or any questions you had? Um, I don't think so. I think all the facts you told me were really interesting. Now when I'm going to go see the film, I'm going to look out for some of the stuff that they planted. And I don't know if I'll look at the skeleton in the same way. I feel like if I was a descendant of that person inside the clock, I'd be like, I wonder where my family member is. Because I can't imagine where that skeleton has actually ended up, you know. And that's yeah, somebody's, a, like, it's ancestor. A, it's a bit of a gruesome fact. I mean, there, there's some cool stuff in the film. There's some... I, I could go on all night with facts. I am going to draw the line under it now because there's... We could do four or five hours on this and never scratch the surface of what it is behind the scenes, but I'd like to think we've given a fair overview of what the film is, what the stage show is, why we enjoy it. An important thing I'd like to say again is anyone listening to this on Spotify, we do put slides up during the podcast. We do have a special intro for this episode and a couple of bits friends have filmed for us and recorded that I mentioned in the beginning. So if you're sat there listening, thinking, well, I can't see this, if you want to check out these particular features, please do again, go and check it out on Action Pot Dad on YouTube, my YouTube channel. You can watch. And as I said earlier, you can see our faces. You can see who we are. You might want to turn the camera. You might want to turn the screen off after seeing my face. I don't know. That's entirely up to you. A few housekeeping things. Obviously, Action Pot Dad is on Twitter and Instagram. Sorry, it's not Twitter anymore. It's X, isn't it? whatever reason was behind that. So you can find us on the socials. And in a couple of weeks time, this is a two part feature. In a couple of weeks time, just as a reminder, we will be coming back with the second part of this and we will be looking at the sort of sequel to Rocky Horror and the remake. So Kim, are you looking forward to that? Yeah, I don't know if it'll be as fun a conversation as this one. I can't imagine there'll be a lot of positives, but I suppose we've got to find some, right? We are going to have to try and find some. That's why this one, that's why this episode is our Halloween special. And the next episode is, it's a continuation. There won't be quite the same level of production in the intro to it and whatnot, but hopefully you will still enjoy the subject. And there's not a lot more to say other than, Kim, where can we find you if you want to be found? Um, If you're really that bothered about following me, you can find me on Instagram under Kim Gonick. Um, No pressure to follow me if you just fancy. Half the time it's just random stuff that I post, but feel free to find me there. And actually, no, I'm going to actually chuck one more question at you just before I wrap this up, because we were sort of giving up on the whole 
us disagreeing on stuff because the last two shows we had this tagline will we agree on stuff and we just seem to keep agreeing on things so no i am gonna throw it out there i'm gonna pose the question let's see if we can actually get something we disagree on because that was sort of the tagline will we agree it's a simple question for you what's better the stage show or the film Do you know, after doing all the research and having to watch the film and watch the stage show and versions of the stage show, I think as much as I love the film, I'm probably going to choose the stage show, but it's just because I love the live band, but I love the audience participation. It just changes up every performance. So you never know what you're going to get from me. That's a fair and valid point. And roll your eyes at me. You are right. I'm not rolling my eyes at you. I'm actually, I'm going to disagree <laughs> with you, though, on a personal level. I think on this one, yes. I think you have a fully valid argument. I don't think you're wrong. But for me, it's the film. The film is better because I have that nostalgic connection to it. And it's so important at point from points in my life. But yeah, I think definitely. everything you just said there was valid. So I don't agree with you. For me, the film's better. So yay, we finally disagreed on something despite the intros we normally use I on know. the podcast. Only took like how many episodes? I know. We finally disagreed. I was just about to wrap it up and I thought, no, no, I am going to ask. I'm going to see because I thought, what's the point? We just end up agreeing and <laughs> turns out we don't agree. But Kim, I have to thank you massively. Thank you for the time and the research you've done. Thank you for everything you put into it. Thank you for putting yourself through the makeup and everything to record the intro. Thank you again to Christian from Smugglers Canyon for allowing us to butcher the artwork. Thank you to Sue Universal Toy Collector for doing that brilliant rendition of our parody of science fiction double feature. Thank you to everyone watching. After this, if you're watching on YouTube, there is going to be an after show stream where it will be live this is a pre-recorder premiere so if you're in the comments section chatting to us now this is pre-recorded but give us 10 minutes and there will be a stream where we can go for any other questions and whatnot you have so again thank you kim thank you for those i'm watching and good night we'll catch you on the next episode bye bye thanks for listening to action podcast if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to follow us on Spotify. Also, why not check out Action Pop Dad on YouTube and give us a follow? And don't forget to hit that notification bell so you don't miss out on other pop culture related projects. Catch you on the next one!